Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The power of a biblical whatever. Learning to think and live in light of what is true. To be a person who thinks about whatever is honorable, it's the kind of attitude that doesn't get rattled easily. Justice is core to what God's going to label a healthy attitude. Whatever is pure. This concept of without defect in light of our conduct and then our relationality. Whatever is lovely, look for it, guys, in legitimate places. Think in light of your reputation and whether it's commendable or not. You and I think excellence, we do so guided by his word and empowered by his spirit. Boy, he can preach, can he? <laughs> uh, they call me the crazy Frenchman. He's our wild Viking. You know, that's how that works. Well, good morning, and it is always an honor to be able to be invited back home. And this does feel so much like home, and it's good to be with you. Jamie asked me if I would conclude the series on, on attitude. You know, uh, from where attitude comes, it all has everything to do with how you think. And uh, I've always said, if you're going to do right, you better be thinking right. And thinking has everything to do with what is called mental health. We, we talk about the health of the body, but this is about the health of the mental, that, that, that mind that God has given us that so affects our soul, and how we feel about the life God has given us. And yet there is a threat to this mental health, this uh, area between our ears that so affects our soul, and, and some call it stress because of distractions from what God's designed our minds to be thinking about, it produces a thing called stress that does damage to our souls, as well as the way we look and view the world around us. I mean, we live in a world where 60% of all visits to a doctor have to do with stress, where 10, top 10 causes of death include only one, only one infectious disease. And the most highly prescribed drugs, take a wild guess, are tranquilizers. And we need to talk about what is going on in our heads. It's like there is something broken in our mental that's distracting us, causing stress that creates agitation to our souls and, and robs you from any sense that God would give you a sense of peace. Now, people have all kinds of ideas about how to uh, deal with stress. I, I was given a stress diet. For breakfast, half of a grapefruit, one slice of wheat toast, eight ounces glass of skim milk. Lunch, four ounces of lean broiled chicken breast, one cup steamed zucchini, one Oreo cookie, and herb tea. In the afternoon, the rest of the package of Oreos, 
one quart Rocky Road ice cream, one jar of hot fudge. Then when dinner rolls around, two loaves of garlic bread, large pepperoni pizza, two pitchers of Pepsi, three Milky Way bars, an entire frozen cheesecake eaten directly from the freezer. Well, you know, that diet may help medicate your stress, but it really is not going to be the answer to it. If you're going to do right, you better be thinking right, because the way you think is the way you view everything, and that has to do with your attitude. So, so what is right thinking? I want to give you an axiom, an axiom really that the Apostle Paul gives you in this text of Philippians 4.8. The axiom is simply this. An unhealthy mind will lack one thing that a healthy mind possesses. And, and, and what might that be? Well, listen to what Paul said in verse 7 of Philippians 4. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is all about... What does a healthy mind have that an unhealthy mind does not have? This remarkable sense of, of peace, the sense of rest, the sense of knowing that you're okay and God is in control. So I've been given this final focus of these, of these eight characteristics of, a, of an attitude of thinking right so we can do right. And we come to the last one this morning, and it's if there's anything worthy of praise, there's anything worthy of praise, be focused, be thinking about these things. Well then, what is, this, what is Paul talking about? Something that is worthy of praise? Well, well, what ultimately is the only one worthy of praise? I know, it's first service. These are really easy questions. You know, now if you're over at the seminary, it's a different story. I will grade you and flunk your naugahyde if you don't study. But this morning is grace. So when everything's said and done, who is the only one really worthy of praise? God. God's really worthy of praise. Well, well, well then where do we do our God watching? Where, where do you see this happen? The, the, the phrase, worthy of praise, what Paul is talking about is anything that deserves commendation. Any beauty that is seen, the beauty of the Creator, anytime you see something that reminds you of the very nature of God, our Creator Himself, say something about it. Put it on the radar and notice you see, it's the Apostle Paul who said in Romans 1, you know, people are without excuse. God has made himself known. And he's made himself known through what he's created. First, we saw those remarkable pictures of the hugeness of the universe. And you know, our critics will say, well, there you go. I mean, do you really believe that planet Earth, we are the only ones when you have such a huge universe? But you do know there is another explanation that the Apostle Paul gives in Romans chapter 1 when he says, God makes himself known through what he's made, for example, his eternal power. Now, if you were God and you wanted to communicate the concept of not just power, but eternal power, how large would you make the universe? I think it's about the right size. 
But then he also said, God wants us to know that he is also by manifesting what he created, his divine nature. Well, that's the personal side, his intelligence, what he's right, what he's like. Well, where are you going to see something like that that would be worthy of praise? This is something that is recognized by individuals and, and spoken to individuals. You see, a judgment is made of worth, that something is of great worth, something is of beauty. I mean, you look at natural creation, you see like those pictures or the video we saw, and you go, ah, oh. you make a judgment. You make a decision that that's a thing of beauty because it comes from the very creative hands of God himself, spoken into existence. But what about his divine nature? What about the personal side of God? What do you know? What beauty is there of God that can be seen through something else he created like us? See, in Genesis 1.27, God says he created man in his own image, both male and female, he created man, mankind. Every human being bears the image of God. Now what does that mean? To bear the image of God means we have a capacity to do something that that which does not bear God's image cannot do. Animals do not bear the image of God. Even angels do not bear the image of God, at least not in Scripture, we're not told that. But human beings, we have a capacity because we bear the image of God to manifest the very divine nature. The very beauty of the name of God, what God is like. We can manifest the beauty of the very character traits of our Heavenly Father, our Creator Himself. And this beauty, even though human beings are broken, we are fallen, there is this residue. The beauty of God's person can still be seen if you're looking for it, for it's worthy of praise. And you put it on your radar by not being distracted from it, but rather watching for it because even broken human beings leak the image of God. It can be seen. And those of us who come to know Christ, the Spirit of God, He is basically redeeming God's image in us. Our problem is most of us don't believe it's happening. And Satan would have all of us believe because it was never there in the first place. So who's going to be around to see it, spot it? The beauty that God is actually manifesting through believers, his own children, as we manifest his glory. Now, there's a word. We live to see the glory of God. Not just through what he created, the heavens and the earth declare his glory. But also we are to, what did Paul say? Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Don't you know you're not your own, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Let the glory be seen so others can do some God-watching and spot the thing. Well, then what is it that's supposed to be seen? We said it's the nature, the divine nature. Well, what is that? Do you remember, and we've shared this a few times, but since I come back just, what, six times a year, I want to keep reminding you. Moses goes up Mount Sinai, remember? And then Exodus 33, that's when Moses asks that huge question. God, show me your glory. Finally, somebody asks God to show us what this thing is that we're supposed to be manifesting because we're created in his image. And we who are believers, he's redeeming his image. 
Well, what is this glory? In Exodus 34, God tells us exactly. He says, it's my name. The word glory, what, what is Moses asking God? He's saying, God, what is it about you you want known? What is it about your personality that you want your creation to know? Because they're not going to see it through the heavens and the earth and the galaxies. All they know is that you're huge, you're powerful. And I had some huge, powerful bullies in elementary school that used to beat the spit out of me. So it's more, I need more than just knowing God is big, huge, and powerful. What kind of God do we have? And in Exodus 34, God says, let me tell you what my glory is. My glory is when you see my graciousness. You see my compassion. You see that I am slow to get angry. You see that I'm all about truth and reality. You see, I'm about forgiveness. You see, and I'll say it twice, he says it twice, I'm about loving kindness. I'm concerned about the well-being of the ones I've created. See, this all has to do with the nuances of love. What is love? Man, we've talked about love before. Love is a choice. It is a choice to celebrate worth when you spot it. And where will you see it? You'll see it in human beings. And when we recognize the worth that human beings have, every human being, because they're created in the image of God, we celebrate that worth by being concerned about the well-being of the one who bears the image of God. That's why we do what we do. Hospitals, orphanages, missionaries, feeding, caring. Talk about we celebrate the dignity of every human being. That's a nuance of love. Well, this is the manifestation of it because... From time to time, we affirm it when we see it leaked out. Again, I call it God-watching. Not only just in the beautiful, natural creation that I see God's power and creativity, but I'm also watching you. And I'm watching human beings who bear His image all around me because can I see something worthy of praise? Can I see the glory of God through those created in his image for some they may just be leaking it a little and others may be able to give me more of a shot of it there is something when worth is celebrated when worth and concern is communicated you don't know how God will manifest the most remarkable plans he has for people's lives his name was Fleming he was a poor Scottish farmer well, one day, while trying to make a living for his family, he, he heard a cry for help coming from a nearby bog. He, he dropped his tools, ran to the bog, and there mired up to his waist in black muck was a terrified little boy screaming and struggling to free himself. Well, the farmer Fleming saved the lad from that, what could have been a slow and terrifying death for the little guy. Well, the next day, a fancy carriage pulled up to the Scotsman's sparse surroundings and an elegantly dressed nobleman stepped out and introduced himself as the father of the boy that Father Fleming had saved the day before. The nobleman basically said, I, I want to repay you. You saved my son's life. Fleming responded, I, I can't accept payment for doing what I did. So he waved off the offer but at that moment, the farmer's own son came to the door of the family hovel 
And the nobleman said, is that your son? The nobleman asked, yes. The farmer replied proudly, I'll make you a deal. Let me provide him with the level of education my own son will enjoy, and, and if that lad is anything like his father, he'll no doubt grow to be a man both will, we both will be proud of, and that he did. Farmer Fleming's son attended the very best schools, and, and in time he graduated from St. Mary's Hospital Medical School in London. He went on to become known throughout the entire world as the noted Sir Alexander Fleming, the discoverer of penicillin. But there's more to the story. Years afterward, that same nobleman's son that was saved from the bog was stricken and almost died of pneumonia. And the only thing that saved his life was penicillin. The name of this nobleman, Lord Randolph, Churchill. Name of a little lad that was saved twice because somebody recognized his worth and celebrated it, young Winston. Young Winston, later to be Sir Winston Churchill. You have no idea what God is going to do when that which is worthy of praise is celebrated, manifested. Let your mind dwell on these things, Paul says. Let your mind dwell. This is one of Paul's favorite words, legizomai. And the word legizomai means to ponder. Let your mind go back there again and again. Have you ever noticed sometimes in dreams, your, your brain will just go like tapes, and the tape just keeps returning, and it keeps going again and again and again, like a retape, retape, retape. That's what this word is all about. Put it on the radar and let it keep coming by, coming on to the radar. Instead of getting dis distracted by everything else thrown at you to think about, because as you're distracted from these eight things, that will create the stress. And that's why you're not really having a lot of fun in your life because there is no peace. There is no peace. Oh my, we, we need each other on this one. Because powers of darkness who play in the mind. Say, are you sure? What's the dumbest thing Judas ever did? Easy question, remember? <laughs> he betrays Jesus. If you're going to betray somebody, don't betray the guy who walks on water, the guy who stops the storms. He can hurt you. Betray one of the other lugs, but not the Jesus guy. So where does he get this idea and this desire from his mind and attitude he's going to betray Jesus? You find the answer in John 13, verse 2, when it says, And Satan put it into the heart of Judas to betray Christ. Among our Hebrew friends in the Hebrew language, you really don't have a word for mind. So they use the word heart. The deepest point of your thoughts and desires and your thinking was a Hebrew thought of your heart. And who has access to implant thoughts in the heart, in the deepest part of the mind? Powers of darkness. Not all thoughts are your own. You've heard me say that a thousand times. Not all thoughts are your own. So as we get bombarded with all the stuff that creates stress, that power of thought continues to retape that this concept of God's image, you're special because you bear the image of God, 
and you have a capacity to manifest the very presence of what God is like to people every day, not gonna happen because it never happened. There is no God, there is no image, you're an accident that came out of some pool of something and it's all by chance and accident, you believe that. And so just try to survive with all the stress that's going around your life. And no wonder there's no peace. You wanna know why we need each other? Because maybe from time to time I leak what God is redeeming in me. He's redeeming his image in me. But I have these thoughts that it never existed because it never happened. Who's going to help me? Know that the presence of God is in my life. That God is redeeming his image in me. Who's going to help me with this? The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised, he's faithful. What is our hope? God's engaged in our life. We're engaged with him. Where is the hope? From where does the hope come? Let us consider how to stimulate one another unto love and good deeds. Now listen. Don't forsake our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. When you see me leaking the image of God, when you see some graciousness, some compassion, you see me forgiving somebody, you see me not getting angry so quickly and I'm French. When, when you see that I'm doing something that communicates that I really care about the welfare of someone else, would somebody tell me? Would somebody spot it? Would somebody give something when you see something praiseworthy? Would we affirm each other and thus encourage one another so that we don't continue to be deceived to believing it's not happening? We need each other. When I studied psychology in school, I learned a principle called the Pygmalion Principle. Now the Pygmalion Principle has a strange beginning. It's based on a myth of a sculptor named Pygmalion. Uh, the story is told that the sculptor fell in love with the statue that he had carved. This is one lonely guy. <laughs> now, I don't know quite what it has to do with, with the principle because the Pygmalion principle is simply this. People rise to expectations. It's almost like, really, I think the truth is not that people rise to expectations. You expect something from someone, they many times will actually meet that expectation, even go beyond what they normally would do. But I think it's more that God is placed within every human being we are designed to respond to affirmation. When somebody believes in us, when somebody sees something good in us, when somebody actually is doing a little God watching and seeing God redeeming his image in us, we need to hear from us because we will rise to the expectations because the Spirit of God is sculpting, carving something in us that God already loves. And that's the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Because who is the one that perfectly communicates all the time he was on the earth? The absolute image. Who's the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15? The son. 
Who is the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form? The Son. The Spirit of God is carving the Spirit, the Christ, Christ-likeness, which is most clearly seen when the image of God is seen, you're seeing Christ-likeness. And when you see love, because God is love, the most clear view of Christ-likeness is people caring about the well-being of others and thus being forgiving and thus being gracious and thus being compassionate and thus being slow to get angry and thus being about truth in that person's life because they see God. How does this have to do with stress? What's well, the promise of Paul? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Here's the kicker. Am I, as I am doing this for you, I am spotting God watching for you. I'm affirming you when I see you manifesting God redeeming his image. What does that leave for me? Peace. Because I'm doing what God created me to do, the very vessel the very purpose of my life. And that's why there's peace. I want to show you the fog. Can we throw the fog up there? Have you noticed in your bulletins, uh, I guess they uh, have you memorize Philippians 4.8. I only had to memorize the worthy of praise part. Uh, but you have to memorize all eight. Well, I guess they wanted to continue to do that because they didn't finish any of the words. Um, so I guess you got to finish the words. Like Aragon is arrogant, uh, self-centeredness. Um, you know what I'm saying. You know what that is? That, that cloud is what I call a fog. And it's the fog because it's the, the area of the flesh of emotion. See, Paul talks about the fact that we, 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 we have this flesh. Now, now, what is the flesh? It's simply this. It's our addiction to our self-centeredness. We're all born with it. We're born with the whole sense of no one had to teach you the wonderful word, mine. Me. Me, myself, and I, the blessed trinity, the center of the universe. We all struggle with self-absorption. And most of our lives, we basically lived our lives and we developed an addiction to our selfishness, our self-consumption. That's the flesh. So therefore, when I start feeling emotions, and emotions begin to be this fog that clouds my thinking, and the more you feel, the less you think. You don't make a lot of mistakes when you're thinking, but you've made a whole lot of mistakes when you're feeling. And what he says here is that in this fog is a fog because the flesh, our addiction, causes us to self-justify Every bad attitude. So if it's irritation, I'm getting feeling irritated. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling bitter, envious, hate, arrogance, pride. Here's the question. When did they ever work for you? When have you ever experienced a happy end, wonderful peace, and tremendous success by any one of these? You never have. And yet the moment you start feeling you fall back to your flesh, you will justify everyone because you'll do less thinking and more feeling and get more angry, more bitter, and you're in this fog. Peace? Ha! Ah, kiss that baby goodbye. You're too busy feeling and justifying, and this fog is the fog of deception. 
Because if you just thought about it, none of these self-centered, selfish responses or reactions ever got you anything you truly wanted anyway. So the fact we keep doing them is the very fact that we're as deceived as Judas was himself. Notice we have to attach to this shield. And again, with the shield, I guess you're going to have to fill it in. But the key is verse 8 of Philippians 4. True, honorable, pure, just, lovely, commendable, excellence, worthy of praise. In other words, we were designed to think right so that we can do right. And this all has to do with God watching. Not only just seeing the beauty of what is worthy of praise through natural creation, seeing the eternal power of God, but also watching those created in his image and affirming God redeeming his image in believers by spotting it, telling them, I love the way you show me the presence of God with us by the way that you forgave that person. I'm blown away that you're so gracious to those people. You make me feel that God is alive and well, at least in you, because you're so compassionate to those folks. Meanwhile, I'm feeling this remarkable peace because I'm doing that which is praiseworthy. One of my favorite songs of all time, people mock it, I don't care. When you get my age, I don't care. It's written by George David Weiss and George Douglas, made famous originally by Satchmo. Remember Louis Armstrong? I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and for you. I say to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white. The bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow so pretty in the sky are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies crying. I watch them grow. There ain't much more that I'll never know, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. See, Daryl, are you on weed? (laughs) No! And I don't have to be medicated to come up with this. Because the reality is I watch enough news and I'm well aware I don't deny the ugliness in the world. I'm well aware of ISIS and heads being chopped off. I'm well aware of the injustices and the pain and the agony. I see the ugliness of sin. I see the ugliness of people living their lives still in the fog, quenching any visible image of God being redeemed at all. But I still can, I still can create the world around me. And I can, if I don't get distracted, and I put on the radar, and I begin to focus and think and ponder on seeing the beauty of what God has created and what God is redeeming through others, especially my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm affirming it when I see it, 
and I make a big deal of it when I spot it. I'll experience this thing called peace without weed. See, Christian, this is what it means to walk worthy. God desires just for us to experience what the Spirit of God is sculpturing in us, Christ-likeness, so that we start feeling and experiencing love, joy, not being afraid, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, kindness, self-control. It's all there for you to have in your world. If you're mentally healthy, you gotta think right if you're gonna live right. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're created in his image. God wants to redeem you and make you what you were made to be in the first place, to totally complete the purpose of your life. We need to humble ourselves before God Declare our forgiveness because we still live in a cloud. We've got to come out of the cloud to the light, the light of the gospel that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's yours. Humble yourself. Ask God's forgiveness for your sinfulness and receive, accept, believe, Tell them you do. And what Christ did on that cross was sufficient for your absolute forgiveness and introduction back into the family of God as a son and a daughter. And then God will place his spirit within you and he'll begin to re-sculpture his very image within you. And fellowship, so when we celebrate it and see it and remind each other, God is very much alive and well because I just saw him in you. I just saw him in you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would heal our minds, protect us from being overcome with all the distractions that create such stress and just purges any sense of peace out of our hearts. Lord, may we be wise people and with self-control, begin to make decisions and be thinking, feeling less, thinking more. And thus, the joy you would give us. Lord, this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said. Amen.